This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. Hey, welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Sound Podcast, 1037 Games exclusive pro wrestling podcast. It is WrestleMania week, and hopefully you're enjoying what we got for you the rest of the week. Wednesday, we're going to go ahead and get our WrestleMania predictions on, and we got some special guests joining the program. We've got some special guests joining this program today on day two of WrestleMania week. On the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts from. And we are going to get to top five WrestleManias. Also, going to have a great in-depth conversation with good friend Harry Broadhurst. He'll be joining the program of the Reaction Podcast. We're going to talk all things NXT TakeOver, Stand and Deliver, Nights 1 and 2. We'll review those shows on Thursday. Wednesday, oh no, excuse me, that'll be on Friday. Thursday is going to be AEW Dynamite review. We're going to have the recap on that. Some thoughts maybe from the Hall of Fame and who knows what else we'll get into. And also, on Saturday, WCW Nitro, 20 years later, we're going to talk about that and so much more. It's all part of our WrestleMania week coverage right here, once again, on the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Thank you to 103.7 The Game for putting up with this mess this week. We'll be back to the regular weekly schedule next Monday, recapping the Raw After Mania. So let's get into the CD top five list. It's not the catalog of CD because I don't have enough time in the world to do a tier list for each and every WrestleMania. I might do that next year. But right here, right now, let's get to the top five WrestleManias of all time. And number five has got to be WrestleMania 10. It's bolstered by a great opener in my mind with Brett and Owen, probably one of the best opening contests of all time. And a phenomenal ladder match between Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels will kind of compare and contrast a match that's on NXT TakeOver, staying to deliver in night two in a little bit. But you have that, you have Bret Hart redeeming himself after all what happened last year, thanks to Hogan's BS. He beats Yokozuna. Really good stuff. Yes, duds on the card all the way around. Not the best card in the world. But at the end of the day, this was still a spectacular show. And all things considered, I think it was a win for the WWE to be in that spot. Because I sat there, like, when the first time I watched, I was like, okay, here's some stuff. And I don't know a whole heck of a lot about it because I wasn't, I didn't, like, when I was growing up around that time, I never really watched pro wrestling. It was until a little bit later, like during the Attitude Era, was when I really started to watch and follow it to the level, not that I do now, because it's it's insane compared to what I used to watch. But, you know, there were some duds in there, Adam Bomb, Earthquake, but at the same time, you had Mo, you had Men on the Mission, win the tag team titles. That was fun. I think that alone, it's like I'm convinced that this is where the state of pro wrestling was at the time. And it's a perfect little time capsule of the mid-90s, right before things go bad, but it's like right as things are getting really good. Number four for me, WrestleMania three. It's one of the most iconic shows of all time. It's bolstered by two really a really great match and a really great moment. Randy Savage, Ricky Steamboat, one of the greatest matches in WrestleMania history, if not the WWF's history books. 
best of the 80s hands down from them. I mean, Ricky Steamboat had better matches with Ric Flair in WCW. But this is a different conversation. This is more about Randy Savage, Ricky Steamboat, how meticulously planned out that match was. Fantastic. Again, not a top to bottom, fantastic supercar, but damn if it wasn't bolstered by one of the best matches and one of the most iconic moments in the history of professional wrestling with Hogan slamming Andre the Giant. Yes, it happened multiple times, but that's something that we kind of think about more retroactively. In the moment, we'd never seen something like that before. Andre the Giant got slammed in the middle of the ring, leg drop, one, two, three, over. That's an amazing moment in the history of sports and entertainment. Number three, for me, WrestleMania 21. Kurt Angle, Shawn Michaels put on a classic. He had the first Money in the Bank ladder match. John Cena and Batista. They both became the top stars in pro wrestling from that point onward. Those guys really carried the company for five years. I mean, in the case of John Cena, even more so. But Batista still was on top of his game until 2010. Then he left, came back in 2014, came back five years later in 2019 for that one more go with Triple H, which was really fun. But it's also got a little bit of personal POV to me. It was a great time in my life. I was a sophomore in high school. Not a care in the world. Nothing was better than pro wrestling in 2005 in my mind. Obviously, there's some really great stuff going on in the 90s. But 2005 was just such a kick-ass year all the way around because yet Ring of Honor was getting hot. WWE had some really good stories and really good characters that you could root for. John Cena was starting to be on the rise. Batista turning on Triple H. You know, you had JBL being the chicken bleep heel. You had all these other great technical wrestlers, and the matches were always great on Friday nights. Just And, you know, that's not even bringing up, you know, TNA had a really great 2005 as well. I think they had some really fantastic stories that were being told. So for me, WrestleMania 21 is that one. And it's also, to me, one of the last true WrestleManias. Yes, we've had about, you know, almost 20 more since 21. But it started to lose a little bit of it because there, like, there were times where it felt like they added on matches just for the sake of adding on matches. And it didn't feel like it felt like a slog, especially once you get to the network era where shows could be five, six hours long. And boy, I don't miss those at all since the pandemic. That's one thing that needs to change going forward. We need a WrestleMania card not to be six bleeping hours long. Like, starting with the pre-show, that's way too much wrestling. It's unacceptable to me. But that's where I'm at when it comes to the WWE and WrestleMania 21 landing at number three. Number two, it's WrestleMania 19. I debated having this as third. It was definitely kind of going back and forth because of my thoughts on the finish of Triple H, Booker T. But a fantastic card. You had Matt Hardy, Rey Mysterio, hot opener for the Cruiserweight title. Shawn Michaels, Chris Jericho, Hogan McMahon, the street fight kicked all kinds of ass. Rock Austin 3. Then you have the Lesnar angle masterpiece where Lesnar almost died. If he didn't have such a big old neck, he would have died from that bump. So for me, despite that, and also Limp Biscuit performing Undertaker's entrance music, that puts it at number two in my book. Overall, just a really great show and kind of the true like peak of the ruthless aggression era in early 2003 hell. I mean, you had John Cena on the pre-show and he put together a really great performance right before things really got started. But some cool stuff nonetheless. WrestleMania X7 is number one. No doubt in my mind. Everybody's going to land on that one. 
One of the best cards ever. It's top to bottom, fantastic. It's the best you've ever put together. One of the best. I'd say Money in the Bank 2011, maybe a very close second. The only match that really didn't belong on the card to me was Taz and APA versus Right to Censor, but you can skip right through that. Mind you, with Peacock now, not so much. But yet, Kane, Raven, Big Show had a really good hardcore title match, way better than it deserved to be, and almost ruined the entire show. Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit, that's a five-star classic in my mind. I know you know, Dave Meltzer wouldn't rate it if five-star was in the Tokyo Dome probably, but for me, that's where that one rates for me. Shane Venn Street Fight, fantastic. Linda McMahon getting the biggest pop of the night, bar none, massive. So that alone, I'm all the way here for the way that card was booked, top to bottom. Then TLC 2, you take, it takes the foundation, even builds on last summer's TLC 1. TLC 2 is undoubtedly the best TLC match of all time. That's an S-tier ranking if we're doing the tier list, which you might do a little bit further down the road, a tier list of TLC matches all time. Even the Gimmick Battle Royale was good fun. It was good fun. Iron Sheik won that. Austin Rock 2. That's the one where it kind of just goes from being great to goat tier. Because the way they built up the match, the way the storyline was, the video packages, the hype around this was all too real. Austin had to win the title, and he did with Vince's help. I talked about it a while back, about my controversial take about this being an all-timer and being one of the greatest of all time. This was the best era in the history of pro wrestling, surely because of the drawing power. It was one hell of a way to send it all off. I'm not going to give him a whole spiel and diatribe about Austin winning the title, why I think that was so much better than I think a lot of people give it credit for. But WrestleMania 17, top to bottom, one of the best cards of all time. But I'll give some also receiving votes. I'll give you three of them. WrestleMania 18, WrestleMania 20, and WrestleMania 30. Those are my other three votes. I'll give you quick reasons why. WrestleMania 18, you had Hogan versus Rock, Icon versus Icon, Triple H versus Chris Jericho in a really good match that definitely had some good story behind it. Uh, Stone Cold, Scott Hall. That was a really good, underrated matchup. So much fun to see that one. You also had some just really good stuff throughout the card. It wasn't stacked top to bottom, but really fun just stories being told. WrestleMania 20, it also receives votes. It's the triple threat match. It's Eddie Guerrero, Kurt Angle. Probably, I mean, about like half the card is really good. Even the cruiserweight open. I mean, John Cena, Big Show. That was so much fun to watch. It's a really good card. Like, yes, the ending, you know, doesn't necessarily age well. But 2004, you think about it in the context of time, this was perfect. So damn good. WrestleMania 30, it's obvious. Took place three hours down the road in New Orleans. Undertaker's streak. Daniel Bryan winning the title. AJ Lee dominating the Divas division. Like, there were so many like, cool moments. Zara winning the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. Him getting over. Like, one of his biggest moments of his career happened in the Crescent City. I think 30 definitely takes the cake. And I have the fact that it's the last one that's actually been numbered and acknowledged by the WWE. So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with all this when it comes to the WrestleMania top five of all time, plus a few more also receiving votes. We're going to get to Harry Broadhurst right about now.
CD's going to test his expertise and predictions against someone who's running in and invading the podcast zone. You know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. And, of course, WrestleMania week kind of started off with Monday Night Raw, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about the other big show going on this week. So big, it's taken two nights to get to all of it, and that is NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver. And, of course, we get our officially unofficial, I guess you would say, our NXT guy, Harry Broadhurst, get a little Stand and Deliver Nights 1 and 2 picks and predictions. Harry, how's it going, dude? What's going on, CD? Happy to be back. Been a while. It's been a long while. Appreciate you getting in on the show and running on in. First off, what are your? Th- I'm going to go ahead and just get out of the way. What are your thoughts on NXT Takeover going two nights? I think it's a smart decision, and the reason I say that is because it'll give them kind of a dry run for what to expect for WrestleMania night. Because while I think that the crowd for WrestleMania nights one and two will be bigger. This will be a good way to test Peacock's ability to handle the amount of streaming that could potentially happen for Mania, much the same way that they used NXT TakeOver Arrival to test the WWE's network capacity when it first happened back in 2014. That's a really good point I hadn't really thought about, is the fact that you have NXT TakeOver the second night will be on Peacock. You know a lot of people are going to be all over that. It's going to be... Go ahead. The first night's going to be on Peacock as well with the simulcast. Oh, I forgot about the fact that it's a simulcast. Mind you, I'm just thinking more of the fact that the first nights, everybody's going to probably be watching it primarily on the USA Network, and then maybe everywhere else they might watch it on the WWE Network, which somehow, someway still exists. Don't get me started on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, trust me. I've I've had my thoughts on it as well. Mind you, I'm glad they're, I'm glad they're starting to take steps towards having like all of the old Monday Night Raws in there. They're... They need to get some more SmackDowns at the time of this taping, but I'm liking what I'm seeing so far with Peacock. Obviously, there's a lot of work that needs to be done, though, with it. But let's go ahead and shift to NXT as in general because they're shifting over. They have finally announced after months of us kind of speculating and starting to hear all the rumor innuendo, it is shifting over to Tuesday nights. The Wednesday Night Wars are officially over. Were you surprised by that decision? Uh, No, and it's actually not for the reason a lot of people probably think it is. Uh, Currently, the NBC Universal Network still has the rights to hockey, and hockey's night is Wednesdays and has been Wednesdays. Why not establish NXT on a new night before you have hockey come over to USA Network on Wednesdays? And this way you can also kind of get the rub of it being right next to Monday Night Raw where they can cross-promote. That's actually a really good point. I mean, the only like I I was kind of thinking that same kind of thought process with it. The only kind of caveat I had was the fact that you saw like not long ago ESPN bought into a big deal to get the NHL for their ESPN Plus and whatnot. And what happened? I'm just wondering what happens there because who's to say that you don't split kind of things up where you still have your Wednesday night hockey night in America type gimmick on USA and just try and move everything over towards the four-letter network, because you know they'd love to have all the content possible. 
Oh, I'm sure that there's probably going to be multiple networks air, had, that have the licensing rights to the NHL going forward. Hockey's mainstream popularity in the United States has increased significantly over the course of the last couple of years. And what better way to cash in on that than to have the opportunity to not only return to ESPN and Disney Corp, as well as still being broadcast on Universal. I'm looking forward to seeing how this whole relationship and how the change affects how people's viewing habits is because you got to think about it. Every single night, there is wrestling. If fifteen year old, if I told fifteen year old me this, his head would probably explode because of the fact he'd be like, "Really? I have Monday night Raw, Tuesday night NXT, Wednesday AEW, and that's not even counting stuff like Ring of Honor, AEW Dark, and AEW Dark Two Elevation. You've got the NWA, then you've got Impact Wrestling on Thursday nights, Friday nights is SmackDown. There's so much to watch. It's like it's a wonderful time to be a wrestling fan. That's not even counting all the stuff on on uh, programs such as IWTV or High Spots as well. IWTV yeah. airs live live wrestling or at least pre tape wrestling in a live context uh, at least three nights a week as well on their service, which is only like ten bucks a month and highly worth it. And then you got Pluto TV that has an independent wrestling channel entirely dedicated, where it's twenty four hours Pluto. rolling. Through IWTV, no less. Yeah, oh no, and, and trust me, I the first day I wound up just pulling up <laughs> a nonstop stream of it. Let me say, there were some really cool gems in there, including like some Dusty Rhodes, Jerry Lawler, like 2003 from like 3PW. I was like, I did not expect to see that wow. on the internet. Wow, there's a name I haven't heard in a while, Pro Power Pain Wrestling. Yes, I was, I was kind of surprised about that too, because like that's a name that I was like, really, this is associated with? This independent wrestling channel. Again, they were showing a lot of stuff that was like recent, but it was like the late at night block where it was like, oh, hey, this actually has my interest. Fun fact do you know who actually owned 3PW? Who's that? The Blue Meanie. Oh, yeah, I forgot, I forgot about that. The Blue Meanie ran that promotion. Him and his then girlfriend, Jasmine St. Clair. I don't believe they are still together. I hope not. I hope not. Because I, I mean, <laughs> I've, I've heard some things about, about her. But let's go ahead and get right into the picks to click for NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver. Let's go ahead and start with night one. And the first question I have is, because I was kind of going through this in order, like just based off of what I was seeing with a bunch of people's card rundowns, do you think Io Shirai, Raquel Gonzalez should be the main event of night one? Oh, it's absolutely going to be the main event of night one, and it deserves to be. I'm kind of that same boat. So Io Shirai, Raquel Gonzalez for the NXT Women's Championship I'm going to let you take the honors here first. Who you got? I think Raquel's time has come. I don't think there's anything left for EO to do in NXT, honestly. She's beaten everybody that's been put in front of her. I mean, you, we've seen her take down people like Dakota Kai, like uh, Tegan Knox, like Candice LeRae, like um, uh, who, the name just escaped, Rhea Ripley when she was still in NXT. Tony Storm, she just recently beat on an episode of NXT TV. There's nobody left for for Io Shirai to beat unless you're going to go the way of Asuka by having her go out without dropping the title, which I think is a mistake. Then the time has come that Io passes the torch uh, for the next NXT Women's Champion to Raquel Gonzalez, whose ring work has improved significantly over the course of the last six to eight months or so and is and in my opinion has justified her spot at the top of the card oh no i'm kind of that same boat i've got to go with raquel gonzalez i said at the start of the year on this show that she was one of those in wwe i had to say like 
Keep an eye on her. She's going to wind up being a big star in 2021 on the black and yellow brand. I think that's had her winning a title. She did win one technically because of the fact they won the Dusty Classic and they won the uh, – the fact they have the NXT Women's Tag Team titles is just almost a joke to me. But the fact we get that, but now we get a chance. It's time to pull the trigger on Raquel Gonzalez, and the reign of Raquel begins tomorrow night. See, I disagree about the women's tag team titles in NXT because I think NXT is the deepest women's division in wrestling, and they have the ability to pull it off. I mean, you could have probably gone ahead and just, like, instead of having it end in, like, a weird finish, you could have actually built that as a women's tag team title match on NXT TakeOver, staying to deliver, instead of having two separate women's tag titles, and you don't know what to do with the first brands, like the main brand's title. Okay, but I think we can agree that the booking for the women's division on NXT is significantly better than it is on the main roster. That's an understatement. So I I don't necessarily think that... I, I think that this may have been the long game in order to bring those women's tag team titles to NXT. I think this may have been the plan all along because they knew that they had more people than they could focus on solely with just a single singular women's title. So that's why they went the route of the women's tag team division as well in NXT, and I'm okay with it. It was just, for me, the whole thing about moving over. Instead of, like, having now you have two women's tag team titles, you don't quite know how to book for the main roster, and you've already kind of booked enough teams to where you could actually field a really consistent storylines and over the next several months, I mean, you get treated like you did the Cruiserweight title because that was WWE. But the second NXT took it over, it became NXT not long after that. My opinion is is that they should have a show dedicated solely to the women. And I I'm think that, that they have the resources, and I think that they have the capabilities to do so. And I do believe that there are enough fans of women's professional wrestling as companies such as Shimmer and Shine have proven that a WWE women's-only TV show would draw. I'd love to see that as well. Let's kind of flip on on over to the next match I think is going to be something to watch. MSK, one of the newcomers in the WWE, formerly the Rascals in Impact Wrestling, taking on the Grizzled Young Vets. And Legato Del Fantasma, a triple threat match for the vacant NXT Tag Team Championship. I'll go first on this one, and I say it's time to strap the rocket ship to MSK. They won the Dusty Classic. Why not keep it rolling since they've been the black and yellow brand? They've been in fuego. I'd love to see Grizzled Young Vets win it. I'd be okay with it. But at the end of the day, i got to go with MSK securing the bag. I'm going to apologize in advance for this. But I have to do it soon to be recognized as NXT Tag Team Champions. Liverpool's number one and James Drake take the tag titles. Grizzled Young Vets win the belts. They beat Legato Del Fantasma to set MSK up for the for the chase. I would love again. I would love to see Grizzled Young Vets be involved in this, but it just feels like MSK the way they're building them. It's a it's just a rocket ship up towards the top. I like I'm a Cameron Grimes to the moon with MSK in my mind. I will say Josiah knocked Cameron Grimes' new theme song out of the park. It's fantastic. Oh, it's absolutely amazing. I in fact when they did the whole video the music video for it during Vengeance Day, that was one of my favorite parts of the whole show. Yes. That was one of my favorite parts of the whole show. But let's go ahead and get into the Gauntlet Eliminator match. Talked about Cameron Grimes just now. Let's keep it going. Leon Ruff, Swerve Scott, Bronson Reed, 
Dexter Loomis, Cameron Grimes, and the newcomer, L.A. Knight, in a gauntlet eliminator match. Who do you kind of see winning this one? Because it, it's a definitely a stacked crowd. Okay, so I have two-part answer to this. Who do I think should win and who do I think is going to win? Okay. Because it's two different answers. Always is. Yes. Who do I think should win is Swerve because he is criminally underutilized in NXT. I'd agree with that one wholeheartedly. Who do I think is going to win? Dexter Loomis in order to pay off the Gargano and Loomis chase over the course of the last couple of months. That's kind of where I'm at. I think that's who's going to win. I think who should win, for me, honestly, I'd love to see Bronson Reed because now we see a little bit of a different edge. We see a different angle of this man. So I think that would be a great way to go about it. But Swerve would be Swerve, Swerve Gargano would be a banger. I'm not gonna lie. I don't think uh, I don't think Bronson Reed is done with L.A. Knight. Dummy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I swear if they if they go ahead and give us that match somehow, some I yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they give us that match the on night two of NXT Takeover, which will which will leave there because we all know when we do this podcast, we record it. You never know what's going to happen before we publish it on the internet because we can see another match get added to the card. Let's keep it going with night number one. An NXT United Kingdom Championship match. Walter defending the title against Tommaso Ciampa. This 100% feels like a Walter retain, right? The never-ending reign of Walter stands tall. Um, so the only question is not if Walter is going to retain, but how many times is Tommaso Ciampa's soul going to leave his body? <laughs> you know that guy's just absolutely going to get just the hell chopped out of him. Oh, my God. Did you see the one on NXT two weeks ago? Yes. Uh, 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 that, that hurt my grandkids, and I don't even have any. <laughs> oh, man. That was an insane one, to say the least. But I'm interested to see what they're going to do on Thursday. Which I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that briefly for a second. What do you think about the NXT UK prelude show? Because that is a little – it's it's very different. But, again, it's WrestleMania week. It's kind of anything goes. What do you think about the NXT UK prelude idea? I um for I've fallen off of NXT UK. I don't get to watch it quite as much as I used to. I do believe that's Kaylee Ray versus Isla Dawn, though. Correct? You'll get that, but you also it's actually Miko Satomura, Amelia McKenzie versus Isla Dawn and Kaylee Ray. But the main event is going to be Rampage Brown and Walter for the NXT UK title. See, I think they might be throwing that out as a red herring. Maybe you do something. Maybe you do something suspicious at NXT Takeover Night One in order to get people to watch uh, Takeover UK Prelude. But the problem with the problem with Rampage is Rampage is so new to NXT UK yeah. that I don't think people would view him as a viable threat to Walter anyway. Especially the fact you've built up Walter as this just unstoppable monster. It's it's like you have to have somebody. And I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if Champa would be a guy that could take that, but the big question is, will Walter stay stateside? Because we know, kind of the big thing about him is he has not wanted to go over to the United States. Honestly, you know who I think is going to be the man to take the title from Walter? Who's that? Ilya Dragunov. Dragunov would be a great choice. I'm not going to lie. I would love to see that. I think that they're doing this redemption story right now. We just saw him beat the absolute brakes off of Sam Gradwell a couple of weeks. I think it was last week. 
and they're doing this redemption story for Dragunov where he's getting over the almost the post-traumatic effects of facing Walter and psyching himself back up in order to put himself back into Walter's path. I like the points you're making right now, Harry. Talking right now, Harry Broadhurst, and we got to get into one of the last matches on night number one. Probably going to be an opener that's going to be a banger. At least I feel like this one should open the show. Pete Dunne versus Kushida. Definitely these two could put together a technical classic to start things off. Legit, this is the closest thing to a pick on this entire show because there are viable reasons for either man to win this match. I personally think Pete Dunne gets the win, and the reason I say that is because Dunne needs a bit of a rebound after losing Queen to Balor on NXT TV, whereas Kushida has been in kind of North American title limbo. Dunn is a guy who could definitely sit at the top of the NXT card and nobody would give it a second thought. For me, I'm going 100% on Pete Dunn. I feel like they're grooming him for another main event match down the road. Kushida's always going to be that that steady hand that can get you a really good, a Dave Meltzer-esque, you know, four-star match or a three-and-a-half, somewhere around that range that can get you to that point but isn't necessarily going to be a true threat, at least the way they, they book him. I think they're starting to really take him a lot more seriously, but it feels like it's a hot and cold type of booking with Kushida, who has absolutely crushed it in New Japan in the past, but I think his NXT run has left me feeling like I want to see more out of him. Honestly, I think the best thing that could have happened for Kushida in NXT would have been for Alex Shelley to come on full-time and then to reunite the time splitters, but it didn't happen. At least we got a time splitters match in NXT. That, that's all that matters to me at the end of the day. We did in the 2019 Dusty Cup, I believe. Yep. We got that. So I, I was more than okay with this one. But again, I'm going with the bruiser weight, and I think he's going to have another title match down the road. It's just all because it's the fact he's building himself as the best technical wrestler in the world. Where does this whole, where does the end game of all that? That's kind of the next question when it comes to his future. If, he's, if it's not the NXT title, what happens next? Are we going to see eventually a Thatcher-Dunn matchup? You know who I'd like to see next? Somebody who Dunn is obviously inspired by if you take a look at his gear. I want to see Pete Dunn and Daniel Bryan. Oh, that would be a lot of fun. Now, obviously, we that I think Dunn would then have to go to the main roster, and that's the last thing I want to see from him like right here, right now. See, you say that, but at the same time, if they reinsert NXT into Survivor Series like they did two years ago, now that maybe the restrictions are starting to lift here in the States, I think it's a lot more viable for that match to actually happen in some way, shape, or form. I like I like the like your thinking, Harry. Talking right now, Harry Broadhurst. Let's let's get it going into night number two. And we talked about the NXT Women's Tag Team titles. Ember Moon, Shotzi Blackheart defending the titles against The Ways, Candice LeRae, and Indy Hartwell. I got to go with the pine-sized pixie, Candice LeRae and Indy Hartwell, getting it done on the big takeover stage, taking down Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart. And I'm sure there might be a little interference along the lines. Uh, I want you to be correct, but I don't think you're going to be. I'm taking Shotzi and Ember to retain. I personally, I prefer the team of Candice and Indy, and I think that the way has been underutilized in in a sense that, yeah, they're getting a lot of television time, but they're still like a lot languishing, easy for me to say, languishing in the mid-card. 
Whereas this is a this is a kind of act that could definitely be a main event highlight week in and week out for NXT between Gargano, Theory, Candice LeRae, and an impressive Indy Hartwell. All right, let's kick it on over to the. I, I'm definitely going again. Going Candice LeRae, Indy Hartwell. They've definitely been crushing it the last few months. Just the way they've been building the way. But let's flip on over to the uh, NXT Cruiserweight Championship match. Jordan Devlin, Santos Escobar, there can be only one, and it's taken place in a ladder match. This one is going to be amazing. I'm torn on Jordan Devlin. And the reason I'm torn on Jordan Devlin is the same reason a lot of people are torn on Will Ospreay. Because of the allegations that came out about Dev- Devlin last year. Devlin is a phenomenal talent. However, I find him difficult to watch now knowing what we know. No, I, I think the match will go ahead, sorry. I think the I think the match will be excellent. I don't know that it needed to be a letter match, especially in the current corona climate, with there being a limited amount of fans there to enjoy it being a ladder match. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Santos Escobar pick up the win so that way Devlin can go back over to the U.K. and continue his business over there. Let's not forget that Devlin was the one who took the ICW title off of Walter over in the U.K. as well. I like that. For me, I'm kind of that same way. I'm definitely conflicted when it comes to, I think, a lot more Jordan Devlin because, I mean, there's a lot of different stuff going on with Will Ospreay that I'm not even, like, the whole New Japan Cup final angle kind of, turn me off of him for a bit and then the fact that he won the title in what was a really good match but I, I, I just got turned off very much by that decision I mentioned in the podcast on Monday but when it comes to this match I like the fact that they made this a ladder match because again it's it's paying homage to Wrestlemania 10 when you had Shawn Michaels Razor Ramon both of them holding the Intercontinental title and it was all determined who's the undisputed I think we'll see Santos Escobar because he has absolutely carried this cruiserweight division. I think he gets the win over Sant- gets the win over Jordan Devlin, and then Devlin moves on to something else. Like you said, potentially a Walter feud. So for me, I got to go with the leader of Legado del Fantasma, Santos Escobar. Here's the question, though: Where do you go with Escobar going forward? Because pretty much all of the other main cruiserweights in NXT have stepped up and had their opportunity, and the only one that hasn't is currently injured in Kurt Stallion. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, like we were talking about earlier, you know, with Kashida, you know, Kashida, former multiple-time junior heavyweight champion in New Japan, viable. I think I think Kushida, you know, could definitely fit in that two hundred five live kind of system, and you could have that be a big top level feud to make the prestige of the cruiserweight title mean a little bit more. I think that would be the perfect place for him. I can't say that I disagree with that. It just feels like that because again, if you're it, like we were talking about just a minute ago with Kushida, where it feels like there's moments where he's able to put together incredible matches, but where does the ceiling go? I think if you put him in the junior heavyweight division, or in their case, the cruiserweights, he's under 205. I think he could put together some really great matches and be that kind of veteran to help build up the legacy not, of that brand, of that cruiserweight title. Not to mention, he's struggling to get TV time on a yep. week-in, week-out basis on uh, NXT, whereas 205 Live is desperate for star power. 
I mean, they, they've been desperate for star power, I think, after the whole Enzo Amore thing. I would say once Mustafa, excuse me, Mustafa Ali and Cedric Alexander left. Yeah, they they definitely. I think they would love to be back in that spot because state was a it's a mess how they've been treating them ever since then. But we'll leave that for another day in our conversations. Let's jump on over to the NXT North American Title, and we both said we think it's going to be Dexter Loomis taking on Johnny Gargano defending the title. And we talk about the chase. How do you see this one going? Gargano retains. You think the curse is over? Uh, the reason I say Gargano retains is because I think that one of the matches a little bit later on in this show is going to play a role in what happens with Dexter Loomis next. Okay, I'm I think that I think that Loomis is destined for bigger things than the North American title. All right, I, I like you know. For me, I think. At the end of the day, does Dexter Lewis really need a title to get over? Because I, I don't think he's one of those guys all like maybe to a certain extent a Bray Wyatt when he first started out. I didn't necessarily need him to win a title to truly get over. It's all about the mind games and just the character itself. If you put a championship on him, it doesn't do him any favors in my mind. And not to mention you have to damage the reputation in order to take the belt off of him. Yep. Exactly. Similar to what happened with The Fiend Bray Wyatt when he lost the belt to Goldberg. I think we can all agree that despite the fact that Wyatt looked good in the match losing to Goldberg the way that he did, the fact that Goldberg had to basically spam button his finish, Wyatt still losing to a 50-year-old person hurt The Fiend's mystique. Well, I mean, that that could be anybody, right? Like, you lose a exactly. 50-year-old Goldberg, you're going to wind up probably losing a little bit of the luster. Exactly. But, yeah, I, I definitely feel like Johnny Wrestling is going to get it done as well. That's where I'm kind of leaning there. It, it just feels like, you know, again, Dexter Loomis, to me, doesn't need the NXT North American Championship. Let's get to the unsanctioned match, the penultimate, which I think, honestly, should be considered the main event. Put NXT Championship match, be that as your true main event. But treat this a lot like AEW is done with their no-holds-barred unsanctioned. Put it as a lights-out match and put that in after your main event title match. That way, it just means so much more. Adam Cole versus Kyle O'Reilly, or as I've been calling him lately, Kyle Emo O'Reilly, because he has absolutely been looking like a guy that spends that's, has spent some of his downtime in a hot topic. Okay, one, Kyle O'Reilly has definitely been shopping at Spencer's lately. I don't think there's any <laughs> question about that. Two, there is no reason that this match doesn't go on last one night, too. And the reason I say that is because as good as Finn Balor is, and Balor is arguably the best wrestler in the world right now, yes, I said it. I don't think Karrion Cross is capable of a match that can follow what Cole and O'Reilly will give us on well, Thursday night. It's the fact that it's such a blood feud. That's my whole thing. It's very much, you know, in the same vein of Gargano Champa. You've had these guys work together for years, and now we get to see the blow-off between these two squaring off, and you know this is going to be an absolute just war. That should be your main event. And, hell, I mean, again, like I said, unsanctioned matches should always be that main event after your main event. Like like I've mentioned, you know, because go back to like full gear a couple years ago with John Moxley, Kenny Omega in the 
lights out match. That's how you wind up booking this whole thing through. That's how you make this mean so much more. And whatever it happens, you know this thing is going to be brutal. Well, we've kind of seen Cole in these style of matches before as well, yep. because Cole and Gargano had some knockdown dragouts themselves. And you know him and Alistair Black as well. That street fight at Philly before the Rumble. Mm-hmm. He's had tons of these. So- and we know O'Reilly's capable of bringing the intensity due to yep. the fact that he has the past as an MMA fighter. So obviously Kyle O'Reilly can get into that mindset of bringing a real fight because he's been in the in the concept of being in a real fight before. I think the only thing that might hurt this match is there is a level of familiarity here that they may try too much, if that makes sense. No, I'm kind of with you on on that take. I mean, for me, I definitely feel like Kyle O'Reilly is going to put on another like classic. And I think we see Emo Riley get it done, and it's going to be the first of undoubtedly many matches. It's going to be very similar in terms of the storytelling, like we saw with Gargano Champa, where the babyface does wind up getting the win in the first go-round. But I think at the end of the day, the heel is going to come out on top. My big thing is also going to be what role, if any, does Roderick Strong play this Thursday night? Because I genuinely think Roddy will end up getting involved, too. I mean, who's to say what happens? With, I mean, is Bobby Fish going to pop up? He's been gone for a hot minute. So, like, I wouldn't be surprised if they try and, would try and get him to come back. Fish is probably – he tore his bicep in the War Games match. I, I kind of forgot he's about pro- that. He's probably due back relatively soon. I think they said the recovery for that was like six to eight, and we're coming up on about the six-month mark. I mean, you don't even have to have him do anything in the ring. You just have to have him essentially show up and maybe basically hand Kyle O'Reilly or Adam Cole a weapon, and you can have that be another part of the storytelling. Then you take him off for a little bit, make sure he's clear to be in physical activity. I think you could have Bobby Fish show up for a hot second. So we'll have to see what ends up happening there with both Fish and Strong. There's so many layers to the Undisputed Era's disillusion to still tell right now. I think this is just the first of many in what could be a storyline that carries NXT for the next calendar year. I would hope so, because I feel like that's kind of where the end game is. I mean, hell, we could see I'm, – I'm interested now that I'm, like, we're thinking about it. Could you see a War Games with the, Undisputed, with the remains of the Undisputed Era – all facing off against Adam Cole and whoever he can try and grab to be part of his team. Because I feel like that could be the blow-off. Or alternatively have them side two-on-two, one with Cole, one with O'Reilly, and then they each find respective partners to finish off a four-on-four war games. I wasn't thinking about that. That's why I have you on here, Harry. Let's get over to the final match that I have listed right here, NXT TakeOver. Night two of Stand and Deliver, Finn Balor defending the title against Karrion Cross, And I mentioned how much I like Karrion Cross and how much it feels like they've just strapped the rocket ship to him over the last year. For me, Finn Balor does retain. I just feel like you can't have this rain end because of some like chicanery like we've seen with the Keith Lee match in the past. See, I disagree. I think I think Karrion Cross gets the belt back here because the belt was meant to be his originally. I just, I just feel like you know, with with Balor, I mean, Balor's putting on some of his best stuff because it's oh. a, it's a lot like EO. It's like, what does he do after that? Like, if he loses the title, what's next for him? Does he go back to the main roster and and flounder there? I think at the end of the day, he's going to want to stick around. 
with the black and yellow brand. Honestly, I think Balor becomes almost like the gatekeeper of NXTs, similar to how like uh, one, two, three kid uh, Sean Waltman used to used to be. That Balor becomes the measuring stick as to whether or not you have what it takes to hang in NXT. Let's consider the fact that they just had their biggest performance center signing class ever earlier this year. And there are a lot of people from that class who we have not seen on television yet. There are a few we have and a couple who have been very impressive. Zoe Stark springing to mind, MSK springing to mind. People that have just recently started full-time in NXT. But there's also quite a few big-name indie talent that have not debuted after signing their contracts with the WWE. Guys like All Heart Blake Christian. Guys like Alex Zane. I just want to see that Parker Boudreaux guy show up. Like, I want him to be part of something big in the next, like, six months. And you mean uh, Brock Lesnar 2.0? Yes. Yeah, that dude is built like a brick-ass house. Oh, it's 100% a brick you-know-what house. Like, I've never seen a dude just that absolutely... I mean, he's not yoked, but it's just... He's massive. I mean, I'm sure he has to, like, walk into a... Like, a, I'm not going to say a McDonald's, but, like, let's say a Walmart, like, sideways, because his back is just so huge. Six foot three and, like, 300 pounds. He's like mini Lesnar, because I think Lesnar's a couple of inches taller. Yeah, he's, but I think Lesnar's basically six, six. a very similar build. Oh, no, it's a, it's insane to see that and the way that looks. And I was, like, blown away by that. And we're not even talking about, like, Rick Steiner's sons in there, too. Don't forget uh, the current NCAA men's champion, Gable Stevenson, was teasing signing with the WWE as well, the reigning NCAA heavyweight champion who can kip up and backflip. Oh, hell. When I saw that guy during the NCAA championships, because I was, had it on one morning while I was prepping for a bunch of other shows, I was like, this dude is amazing, and I want to see him in WWE. Then I started seeing videos of him wanting to be in WWE. I'm like, please let this guy be there. Please don't screw it up because this is an abs- this is a can't miss opportunity. And out of curiosity, do you remember what school Gable Stevenson went to? Not off top. Minnesota, oh, of the course. alma mater of both Shelton Benjamin and Brock Lesnar. The Minnesota Stretching Crew. I would love. I, I would. That, that's a great callback right there. All right, you know one of the big things I did on this podcast today is talk about my top five WrestleManias. I won't have you go through a top five. I'm going to ask you, favorite WrestleMania of all time in honor of this great week? Oh, jeez, that's not fair to <laughs> ask that question without any prep. Um, okay, are we talking favorite personally or favorite in terms of overall? I think personally is, is always going to be best. So that's how I kind of went with my top five. All right, because my favorite WrestleMania overall is 17. Nothing beats 17. Thank you. Top to, bo- top to bottom, it is the epitome of what a WrestleMania should be. Personally, my favorite WrestleMania is actually 19. That is my... Which was, Go ahead, sorry. Which, which was Austin Rock 3, Lesnar versus Angle... And a Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho match that is incredibly underrated in WrestleMania history. For the record, that's my one-two. That's my one-two in in the pantheon of WrestleMania matches. Yeah, exactly. It's seventeen and nineteen are my top two. 
17 is the best ever just because of the sheer spectacle top to bottom that it provides. 19 has a very personal connection for me because it was the first pay-per-view I ordered with my own money. Nice. So it kind of has that special place to me. I also then ordered Backlash 2003, and that shows a crapshoot. So, you know, take the good with the bad, I guess. Exactly, exactly. You got to take the good with the bad. And mind you, that was was much of 2003. Well, 18-year-old Harry in March of 2003 paid for his own pay-per-view for the first time with WrestleMania 19, so it holds a special spot. I don't blame you at all, man. Right before we let you go, we call it the merch table. Promote what you got to promote, my man, before I let you go. All right, it is The Reaction, Monday nights with Tony Acero of 411 Mania, as well as myself, obviously, and when she's available, the co-hostess with the mostest, Miss Liz Puglisi, which on that note, I would like to take this opportunity to dedicate my appearance on tonight's edition of Cajun Strong Style to Angela Puglisi. Liz, goes back to what I've said, everywhere I've done a show since it happened, you know where to find me if you need me. My condolences to you and your family. In addition, I do a football podcast over on the W2M network called The Kickoff with myself, Jason Peasley, Eric Watkins, and Kennedy Eddings. We are currently in off-season mode. However, we will be returning a little bit later this month to cover the Bill 2 as well as the fallout from the 2021 NFL Draft. That is the kickoff over on the W2M Network. And coming soon, you're actually getting breaking news here. Oh, wow. Life is like a, life is like a game show to the W2M Network as well, where we start by crowning our all-time favorite game show in a 64-game show tournament, similar to a March Madness. That is really awesome. And, you know, I'm a big game show aficionado, so I'm just going to ask you real quick, favorite one of all time? Um, oh, geez, you're putting me on the spot again. <laughs> See, it, we break it down by, like, categories for the brackets, so I, like, have one for each category. Like, my favorite all-time trivia show is Jeopardy, just because you can't mess with Jeopardy. Yep. But my favorite all-time stunt game show is Dog Eat Dog. Doggy Dog is that that's a name I haven't heard in a very long time. But for me, my favorite game show of all time, I gotta go with Press Your Luck, man. Like that is absolutely like goat tier type stuff. That and the OG, not the not the rebooted one, Supermarket Sweep. Oh, Leslie Jones has made me hate what Supermarket Sweep has become. I I get the concept, but she is way too much for a show that doesn't need it. Well, it's not, it's not even that for me. It's the whole, just, like, the way they have the gimmicks, the rounds. It goes way too fast. They get to the big sweep. It's like, I remember, and like, the best part, I brought up Pluto TV earlier. Sometimes late at night, I'll pull up on my phone. The They have a, they have a channel. It's called Buzzer. And they would have, like, Supermarket Sweep episodes <laughs> on, like, a loop. And you'd always see it would take a couple segments before you get to the big sweep. And you got to see these points build up. It feels like it just goes by way too fast. And some of it is just like the the rounds are a little bit too cringy for me. Fun fact, you know what else Pluto has? Pluto has an entire an entire, entire channel dedicated to American Gladiators. They also have one for Impact Wrestling. So that, that so trust me, you are absolutely covered and I've checked out you brought up the, you brought up American Gladiators like a while back. I found out about it and just watched late at night. It was like the first they got. 
I got to it when it was the first ever episode. Back before you had Mike Adamley in and Larry Zonka. You ha- you didn't have Mike Adamley and Larry Zonka in there. It was like Joe Theismann. I was like, what? This is awesome. And you just seen like all the like late eighties hair. Absolutely crazy. And also, fun yeah. fact, I'm sure you know this. Rico Constantino was a member yeah. of American Gladiators. Like this what, second season, right? Yeah, Rico was on American Gladiators, and then once he was no longer her wrestler, he actually became a cop in yep. Las Vegas. That's really cool. Though. Like the fact he was he retired and went to do stuff in Vegas. But Harry, I appreciate you coming on and running in on the program as per the use. I'll talk to you down the road whenever we got the next NXT UK or NXT Takeover. Excuse me, not NXT UK Takeover. Those are way too early in the morning for me. <laughs> If you want to do predictions for an NXT UK takeover, let me know. I'll be available. Thanks for having me, CD. I appreciate it. All right, let's kind of wrap things up with some quick thoughts on Monday Night Raw from last night. And this was a fantastic show. Starts off, Drew McIntyre has a great white meat babyface promo. You mentioned how this time last year, was so different and unique compared to what we're getting this year. He wound up going into you know pure babyface mode, talking about his mom being chemotherapy, and she told him to continue to pursue his dream instead of going back home. He goes on to say he'll run through Baron Corbin tonight and in the Almighty Era at WrestleMania this Sunday. Lashley comes up, cuts a good promo, as such as saying it's his time and no one's knocking him off his perch. Honestly, I hope that's the case. King Corbin comes out and then, you know, get this dude off my screen. I'll say this. He did great as a heel, but the whole 2019 run ruined him forever for me because I just could not stand the guy. And I think the best thing for him is to go away for a little while and refresh and reboot this character, get rid of the King gimmick because it's been well past a year. King Sheamus eventually dropped the gimmick. Time for him to drop that gimmick too. Then we go backstage. New Day and Matt Riddle are or Riddle, I should say. I keep wanting to call him Matt Riddle. But the artist formerly known as Matt Riddle, now known just simply as Riddle, basically tried to fit in as many pot references as humanly possible in this promo, and it was funny, don't get me wrong. Basically, he told Kofi he's never seen anyone get as high as Kofi got last week when almost threw him. He asked if, he'd be, if he'll be able to get both of them that high. He's talking about his match with Ali tonight, how sticky he is, so I have to grind him up before he breaks him down. Just give me a damn backstage segment with Riddle and RVD during WrestleMania. Just give it to me now. I know you already taped the Hall of Fame, but that's kind of where I'm at. Almost is ringside wearing a salmon colored shirt, but for the AJ Styles Xavier Woods match, Styles almost immediately locks in the calf crusher, but Kofi gets a distraction by throwing the microphone at Almost, which gives Woods an opportunity to get the inside cradle for the win. Oh, man, I just did not care for this at all. But Styles and almost probably going to win the match for WrestleMania. That definitely made me a little bit of a sad panda. Then we get to Braun Strowman versus Jackson Riker and Elias. We get a full video package of the feud between Shane and Braun. Again, not a few, huge fan of this, but we'll get a steel cage match. So looking forward to seeing how this thing ends. And also, hopefully, Braun isn't a complete dum-dum and throws... Shane McMahon off the cage like Kevin Owens, like he did to Kevin Owens a few short years ago. But he has a really good promo here. Very similar to what he was saying a few weeks ago on Raw Talk. But the here comes the body bag line instead of here comes the money. That was a, that was a great line. I'm not going to lie. 
And it was another quick match. Braun dominated by power slamming both of them. Good stuff as he heads into Mania just looking really good. And he needs this win so bad. So earlier in the night, he had Miz and Morrison notice a scratch on Bad Bunny's car. So they paint all over a Bugatti. And honestly, the JBL's poopy segment had much more juice to it than this. Miz is a damn geek in my mind now. And this alone kind of put over that statement of him being a damn geek. So he come back from break and give Bad Bunny an Emmy. Give him an Emmy right now for his reaction to his car being painted with probably water-soluble paint to where it just is going to come off in like two seconds. Ms. Morrison mug him backstage before Adam Pearce stops the attack. Why in the world did Priest ask who attacked Bad Bunny? He's been feuding with Ms. Morrison for months. Come on now. It's a little frustrating. Now we get to Asuka and Rhea Ripley versus Nia Jackson's Shayna Baszler. And they, they announce here that essentially we're getting a tag team turmoil match. Didn't realize this was happening. Between four total teams. Basically all the women's teams that they have. And the winner goes on to face the team of Jackson Baszler on Sunday at Mania. And honestly, couldn't they have just done this on SmackDown? I mean, they're already doing the Andre the Giant Battle Royal on SmackDown. Is what it is. So it'll be Naomi and Lana, basically Team Total Divas, Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke, Team Fit Blondes, Riot Squad, Team Riot Squad, and then Italian Tamina, Team Second Generation, and wanting to cry and complain. By the way, Check out Paul Heyman's promo on Talking Smack on Natalia. So, on, so damn good. But we finally get a match longer than five minutes. It takes an hour, but here we are. Ripley's playing mind games with Asuka by not taking the tag initially. Just tremendous stuff right here. Tremendous, like, banter. Of course, we get the obligatory Reginald shenanigans, which gives the heels the advantages. Raw goes to break, and they come back. Jackson Baszler kept isolating Ripley, going after the injured knee. Eventually, the hot tag does happen. Asuka comes out like a house of fire, taking out both opponents. And gives a really good two-count after a combo German suplex and knee strike. But the German suplex looked really smooth. But just as Asuka looks to be close to the only deal, she goes up on the top rope. Ripley turns with the tag team partner by shoving her off the top rope and hitting a face plant to the outside. And next thing you know, Jackson Baszler do get the win. Weird to see a heel turn so soon from Ripley, but I think this works for her extremely well. So I'm looking forward to seeing how this one goes. And But the fact you have somebody playing a heel in this, I'm glad that is actually happening. So yeah, that's going to be cool. But what's also going to be cool is Bobby Lashley taking on Cedric Alexander. Again, the breakup of the Hurt business, more of a splintering since it technically exists. He is MVP is still managing Bobby Lashley. And something I didn't get to on yesterday's pod is the fact that I hated that her business had to break up. Didn't need to see that happen until maybe after Lashley lost, lost the title, and it's more justifiable. Oh, we got a segment about the tag team turmoil match, which was funny. Billy Kay with the resume gimmick, MVP of that segment. Apparently they had leaked a graphic with Carmella and I believe Billy Kay, but they kind of just deleted the tweet and moved on. But now we get to the match, and before the bell rang, Shelton mugged Lashley in the ring, but that's enough. They just absolutely dominate. He dominates him from that point on. And the fact he still does the move into the ring post is crazy. I mean, he does that before the break. Then Lashley wins with a hurt lock a short time later after they come back from break. 
But again, damn shame they broke up this group with no reason. So now Cedric and Shelton, time is a flat circle for them because they're back where they were about this time last year. Bad Bunny opened up the third hour and had a solid promo where he talked about his respect for WWE, name drops all these big names, eventually says he respected The Miz and his career. Weird. Why would you ever say that? But he's like, no, I'm going to whip this dude's ass on Saturday. He also kind of switched up between Spanish and English. And then Damian Priest said, you know, why don't we even up the odds and make this a tag team match? It's going to be Priest and Bad Bunny taking on Miz and Morrison on Saturday. I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be so much fun to see what goes on over there. Riddle versus Mustafa Ali. These two just know how to put on bangers. This is almost not a carbon copy because there were some slight differences, but a really good replicant of their match earlier this month, or last month, I should say. Really good stuff. Riddle won after countering a DDT in midair with the bro Derek. Sheamus yelled that he was winning back the U.S. title, which, again, time is a flat circle because he won his U.S. title about 10 years ago, heading into Mania 27. I completely forgot that he had won it on a Raw randomly over Daniel Bryan and then fought him again in the first of two and almost three WWE championship matches between Bryan and Sheamus, which is weird. Then we get to the main event of the night, Drew McIntyre versus King Corbin. Really good stuff. But at the same time, Monday Night Raw has got to get their act together in terms of pacing. It was a hot mess here because you hear about the match coming up next. I think we got a video package. Break. Then we get to the entrances. They hype the WrestleMania card, Friday Night SmackDown with the Fatal 4-Way Tag Team Championship match. And then they go to commercial again. And we come back. The match is just now starting. Still, really good main event, solid back and forth. McIntyre took control as they went to break, throwing King Corbin into the ring post and steel steps. We come back from break. And McIntyre at this point is wailing away at Corbin. Hits a really good northern light suplex for two. I mean, the bridge looked strong on him. Then Corbin takes over, almost gets the win with a deep six, but MVP gives him a cane. McIntyre ducks, hits the Claymore to keep Corbin out of the WWE title match, which is a dumb stipulation. How could they have allowed that to even be regulated and sanctioned? But for a go-home show, this was really solid. It was good enough, especially with considering WWE not necessarily knowing how to really book those shows and book a show that paces well. And you know, I mentioned pacing was a little bit weird at the end, but for the most part, it moved at a brisk enough pace to where I wasn't just like, almost twiddling my thumbs to a certain extent and just getting bored watching it on the old DVR because I was watching the NCAA tournament game on Monday night. But that's going to be about doing it for the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Appreciate you listening in, however you do so. And make sure if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review, and we'll talk to you Wednesday with another edition of the Cajun Strong Style Podcast.